Please turn to the book of Luke this morning, chapter 7. And I want to read beginning at verse 36 from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, beginning at verse 36. Now one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him, and he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume standing behind him at his feet, weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. Which of them, therefore, will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, You have judged correctly. And turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason, I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved much. But he who, has, who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, Your sins have been forgiven. And those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, two co-eds were discussing a mutual friend and one of them said, have you seen um, her boyfriend, her latest friend, boyfriend? And she, yes, a total geek. And the friend said, well, she's crazy about him. And her friend said, that just proves that love is blind. Well, the fact is, love is not blind. In fact, love sees what others cannot see. To not love is to not see. And that is the defining proposition of this story. There are three people who are a part of this drama, three main characters. There is Simon the Pharisee. To be a Pharisee was to have a unique position, ethically and morally. For the word means separate, and 
the Pharisees were, were a group of people that emerged in the interbiblical period, the 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and their charge was to hold the people separate from mixture with the idolatrous nations. And in the course of time, the Pharisees had become satisfied with externalism, ritualism, and creed. And they were hostile to Jesus. As a matter of fact, Luke mentions the Pharisees 28 times, and each time he refers to them in hostility to Christ. There is the woman... And that word woman there in the Greek language is the coarsest word in that language for a whore. She was a woman of the streets. Her immorality was legendary. And so when she came into the courtyard of Simon, the crowd hushed and parted like the Red Sea for her to pass through. No one wanted to be near her and no one dared to touch her. But, but even though her social reputation was repulsive, every eye was on her because her immorality was equally fascinating. I think it needs to be said that this narrative wants us to understand that this woman had already met Jesus sometimes previously. And in this encounter with Christ, she had been forgiven. And so what she was doing that day was in response to having met Jesus before. She, like most women of the streets, wore a vial of scented oil on a string around her neck. And she comes into the presence of a third man in this scenario, Jesus and she anoints with tears, weeping while she did. She anoints his feet with his oil. Incredible that this untouchable wretch would enter the house of a good man, defiling his hospitality, and she's even touching his honored guest, what no woman in that culture would ever do. And Jesus never said a word. He never stopped her. And the scene becomes even more uh, drastic for she lets down her hair, an unspeakably immodest act for a woman of that culture. For she put up her hair on her wedding night and she never put it down again in public. And she took her hair and wiped the tear-perfume-soaked feet and Jesus never said a word and he never stopped her. And the most remarkable thing happened. She begins to kiss him over and over again. And the crowd stands in amazement. And the atmosphere is electrifying. For Jesus never said a word and he never stopped her. What a remarkably secure man he was. It is obvious that Jesus saw something that others did not see. As a matter of fact... Jesus sees things and the woman sees things in the house of Simon that Simon and his friends do not see. For love sees what others can't. To not love is to not see. I want to be specific. Love sees with appreciation the common things. Now there were three common courtesies that were performed in every eastern home. They were small, they were insignificant, 
but common courtesy demanded it and everybody expected it. When a guest arrived, the host put his hand on the shoulders of the guest and greeted him with a kiss of peace. It was a mark of respect and it was never withheld with regard to a distinguished rabbi. Because the roads were dusty, cool water was by every door and that water was poured on the feet of the honored guest to cool and to cleanse them. Just a common thing, just a small thing, but courtesy demanded it and everybody expected it. And they took a peach pinch of incense or a drop of oil and they dropped it on the head of the honored guest. Just an insignificant small thing, but common courtesy demanded it and everybody expected it. And so Jesus brings the woman out and to Simon he says, You gave me no kiss? This woman has kissed me continuously. You washed my feet? You did not wash my feet? No water? She's bathed me with her tears. And you didn't drop a pinch of incense or oil on my head, but she has anointed me with her perfume. Simon, she sweats the small stuff. Have you ever noticed that it's the little things often that matter the most? It's the little touch of someone's hand. It's a gentle smile. It's a phone call at a strategic time. It's, it's a word of encouragement that comes at a, at a, at a moment of crisis. It, it, it's the small things that often matter the most. I think it has been chronicled before that this has been a tough year for me. I buried my, probably the, one of the best friends I've ever had. Um, Right about the same time I went through with a family, the dearest people on earth, in the tragic loss of their son. And frankly, after burying some of the best friends I've ever had this summer and going through the pain of that, I literally was spiritually and emotionally drained. One day I walked out of my office and in an envelope on my in and out uh, deal there on Laverne's desk was this note. Now the thing that makes this note special is that it was written by a young person. And this is what it says. I thought you might want to know that someone is praying for you. I'm praying for you to get a break, a nap, a few minutes to pray with, out in interruption or some quiet time at home. I'm also asking God to give you energy, to simply make you feel great with a little smiley face. Then the young person tells me how great I am, which I totally agree with. And the last sentence it says, Although I consider myself unworthy, please let, let me know if I can somehow assist you. I will continue, continue to pray for you. Let me tell you what this did to my life. It made a gray day bright. It made a sad time bearable. It made life endurable. Just a little thing. But did you, have you ever noticed how the small things make the greatest impression? Simon, you fixed a banquet for me. She just did the common courtesies. Back when I... Um, 
It was as young as these guys, back BR, that's before rap. <laughs> there, was, there was music that you could understand. You know what I'm saying? And uh, words that you could get. And, and during that time, a, a song rocketed to the hit parade, to the top of the hit parade. And it goes something like this. Blow me a kiss. This is not, a, this is not from, from the Bible. It's not a theological psalm. It's a love song, really. But listen to the words of this song. Blow me a kiss from across the room. Say I look nice when I'm not. Touch my hair when you pass my chair. Little things mean a lot. Give me your arm when we cross the street. Call me at six on the dot. The line of day when you're far away. Little things mean a lot. You don't have to give me diamonds or pearls, champagne, sables and such. For I've never cared much for diamonds or pearls. Honestly, honey, they just cost money. Give me your hand when I've lost the way. Give me your shoulder to cry on. Whether the day is bright or gray, give me your heart to rely on. Give me the warmth of a secret smile to show me you haven't forgot. That now and forever, always and ever, little things mean a lot. Simon, she sweats the small stuff, and that makes a tremendous impact on me. For love sees with appreciation the little things. Go do something like that for somebody before it's too late. Second, love sees with accommodation. The value of every individual. Now I want you to notice in verse 44, he's looking at the woman, but he's talking to Simon because he wants us to see where the focus is. And he says to Simon, Simon, do you see this woman? He didn't. What he saw was a ruined dinner party and he was infuriated. What he saw was the reputation of a woman that stood against everything every Pharisee stood against. And he hated her because of her reputation. Simon, do you see her? He really didn't. Neither do we. I have a feeling that there are people beside the streets of life who are just dying to be noticed. Lucato tells about the woman in California who put her picture on a large billboard, put her name, address, and phone number on there. And some of her friends driving down the freeway saw the billboard, called her and said, What is happening? What do you got your picture out on the freeway about? And she said, You've already anticipated it. It's the first time anybody's ever recognized me. My phone's been ringing off the hook. Sociologists tell us that, that our generation meets more people in a year than the previous generation in a lifetime. But we don't really. I met a man today, but not really. The private paths of our indi individual lives converged and we were there. We shared our impersonal names we shook hands warmly and firmly to express an interest that wasn't there. We exchanged ideas about the weather, politics, and current news, and other things that were not there. 
And when the conversation lagged, we said, good to have met you, same here, and we parted, smiled, lied, extended our hands, glad to be on our way from our meeting. Today I met a man, but not really. There is something characteristic about the love of Jesus, and it was that He knew people and He saw people individually. He knew her by face and by name. Now watch this carefully. And because He saw her, accounts for her healing. For the forgiveness this woman experienced emerged out of the fact that somebody saw her as in a different way than she had ever been seen before. For the first time, she was in the presence of somebody who didn't really want something from her. And for the first time, she was in the presence of somebody who saw her not as an object to lust or a symbol of human degradation. He saw her in her full individuality, a person who was filled with pain and yet spiritually alive with the capacity to love and to change. And she was healed because he saw her. And there is something buried underneath the surface here that you won't recognize unless you dig for it. That is, he saw Simon differently than he'd ever been seen before. For why was he in Simon's house? It wasn't because they were buddies. He was hostile to Jesus. He was there not from the, for the woman. He'd already met the woman. He was there for Simon. I tell you, he was there to give Simon's sight to Simon. And he loved this man like he loved the woman. And that's saying a lot because there's nothing more difficult to love than a repulsive, obnoxious Pharisee. I mean, he loved this man. And I don't know what happened to Simon, but I have a feeling that he responded like the woman responded in the same way because you're never the same again when you're seen with love. One last thought, please. Love sees and celebrates love. Now, why was the woman there? Why are you here? I tell you, she was there to serve love. And somewhere in the immediate past, she had come into contact with this man who saw her and loved her as she was, and she was there to celebrate it. And a part of that is involved in what John means when he says, we love him because he first loved us, is that our love and our service is a celebration of his love for us. Oh, look at her come with her precious perfume worth a year's wage. The forgiven seeking the forgiver. The taker looking for the giver. The loved seeking the lover. And she's not concerned about the cost of perfume. She's not worried about appearance and what her friends will say or what her enemies. For she has eyes only for Jesus. And because she loves Him, she wants to lavish upon Him. Isn't that the way it works? She wants to lavish upon Him the most precious things she possesses. And so Jesus says to Simon, 
A man was in debt for $500. A man was in debt for $50. Both were forgiven their debt. Who loves more? Simon said, well, the one forgiven more. Jesus said, that's correct. For who loves the most? The person who is most conscious of forgiveness. And who is most conscious of forgiveness? Watch this. The person who is most conscious of his need. I think it's true what he said. That the greatest sin is to be conscious of no sin. And there are two things, I think, that are always prerequisite to our love and service. And that is that we, have been, that we are aware of our transgressions and we are assured of our pardon because there's no real love, genuine love, until we are aware of our sin, our penniless insolvency, until we are aware of our sin and we are, we are recipients with gratitude of our forgiveness. Now, there are three or four quick lessons. I'll just brush them. I have five minutes to do it. One is this. Jesus does not always act the way we think He will because the way we think He will is usually the way we would act. You remember that when you pray and you don't get answers to your prayer like you thought you would. Don't, you think of that when you're tempted to get bitter about life not happening like you thought it would. For Jesus does not always act the way we think He will. Lesson number two is that there is, uh, in, in, in the mind of Christ, there is this value of the word Go. She would have stayed, but Jesus said, go. She would have been there the rest of her life, but, I mean, where else is there, could you be that's any better than in the presence of someone who loves you? But Jesus said, go, because when you're forgiven, you're to go forgive. When you're loved, you're to go love. When you are accepted, you're to go seek reconciliation. There's a third lesson. That is this, that nobody is a nobody. Let me give you a little test. See how you do on this trivia. Watch this. Who taught Martin Luther his theology and inspired his translation of the New Testament? Who visited Dwight at a shoe store and spoke to him about Christ? You know the name of that guy? Who worked alongside and encouraged Harry Ironside as his associate pastor? Who was the wife of Charles Haddon Spurgeon? No, I'm not talking about Miss Spurgeon. Who, who was the wife of Charles Haddon Spurgeon? You know her name? Who was the elderly woman who prayed faithfully for Billy Graham for over 20 years? Who financed William Carey's missionary, missionary enterprise to India? Who did that? Who refreshed the Apostle Paul in that Roman dungeon as he wrote his last letter to Timothy? Who helped Charles Wesley get underway as a composer of hymns? Who found the Dead Sea Scrolls? What were the names of the parents of the gifted prophet Daniel? You know any of those? Half of them? Now, before you brush this off as a little trivia contest, 
you'd get a Bible trivia test on these. Let me remind you that if it weren't for these people, there'd be millions of lives untouched by God for nobody is a nobody. There's a story that has come out of the um, Southern Baptist Missionary uh, Journal about a, uh, uh, an ophthalmologist in the heart of Africa who, in a hospital there, who um, operate on people to give them their sight. And one day a blind man came to the hospital and it was a simple procedure. There were a lot, there's a lot of blindness because of poor sanitary conditions and poor medical care. This man came and he had been able to see for years and this doctor restored his sight. It was like the woman in this story, she was on her knees. He was on his knees uh, praising him and kissing him. About a month later, the doctor was getting ready for surgery. He was in his office and he looked out the window. He heard a commotion and out on the lawn of this hospital was this blind man now seeing. And he had a long rope and there were numerous, there were a number of men and women holding on to the rope who were blind. And this blind man who had been given his sight went into the jungle and found these people who were sightless and he brought them to the sight giver. Love sees things that others can't see. Jesus saw the woman with this tremendous capacity to live. And the woman saw Jesus as the giver of sight and life. And Simon saw Let's pray together. Lord, we know the song says, Open my eyes, I want to see Jesus. To reach out and touch Him and say that I love Him. And I pray that You'll open our eyes to Him, to the truth about ourselves and others, that we might indeed see through your eyes. Heal us, Father, of the pain of rejection and give us a sense of being loved so that we could love others. And heal us of the sin of bitterness so that we can go and forgive. For I pray in Jesus' name, in the early service, look here, a little girl, this little child whose smile has imprisoned me for several years, Amy Loveless, the most precious child one could ever know, came to receive Christ in the early service. And here is the truth of this parable. How much did she have you know, how much debt did she owe? But the fact is, is that everybody here stands 
in the same relation to the creditor. Everybody here owes a debt he cannot pay. For some, it's greater than others. But what does it matter if you owe a million dollars or ten if you're totally broke? It's the same. You owe a debt you cannot pay. He paid the debt that you owe. And you come this morning in the awareness that you have absolutely nothing to bring Him but your faith to Jesus Christ to receive the consolation of your debt. Have you come to know Christ as your personal Savior? I'm speaking to some adults this morning who have never, ever dealt with this situation head on. You can come to Christ this morning in simple faith and be forgiven every debt counsel. Or maybe you need to come and rededicate your life to Christ or to place your life in the fellowship of this church. While we stand to sing, we invite you to come.